Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us and we're going to begin this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity again to gather as a body of believers to celebrate all that you've done, all that you've given, Lord, as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper later this morning. Father, help us to remember, to remember Christ, Lord, and his love and devotion, sacrifice, Father, the unity that he brings through this moment. Pray, Father, you'd open up our eyes to see your truth. Lord, convict us, compel us, challenge us as we walk through this scripture this morning. Father, may you receive honor and glory. Lord, I pray that the Spirit would speak to us, challenge us, and we would be transformed, Father, more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. We are going to take a break this morning from the book of Acts. Very simply because this is a special Sunday for us leading up to Easter. We'll get back to Acts here in just a few weeks. But many of you know that today is Palm Sunday. And if you're unfamiliar with the story of Christ, I'll I'll encourage you really to read back through that this week. But in the last week of the life of Christ, uh, every day this week is very significant. I'm going to talk about those here in just a few minutes. But this particular Sunday morning is Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday that Jesus rode the final time into Jerusalem. Remember, Jesus has done ministry all through Galilee. He's healed people. He's walked on water. He's done incredible things. And then by his own will, now remember, nobody coerced him to do this. By his own will, he willingly walked to Jerusalem. And on Palm Sunday, that's this Sunday, he walked into Jerusalem. Crowds of people gathered around him holding palm branches, waving them. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as triumphal as this entry was, for Jesus, it was the beginning of the end. It's the final time he would walk into Jerusalem, a free man, that week. And it's always been fascinating to me to understand the context of that moment and of that week because Jesus is going to walk in on Sunday as a hero, and by Friday, he would be crucified and laying in a grave. What a turn of events! And for us as followers of Christ, if it just ended with that story, it'd be a sad, sad day. But we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus didn't stay in the grave. In fact, through the power of the Lord, he was risen three days later. And next Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, we'll celebrate his resurrection. I pray you'll be there with us. You know, Easter is just a a very crucial moment in uh, the life of a believer. It's an important day that we celebrate. And you know as well as I do, there are people that will come to church on Easter that won't come any other Sunday morning. So I want to encourage you this week, invite somebody. Ask somebody to come. Pray about who you should ask. Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's somebody that lives across the street from you, maybe it's a family member, but invite somebody to be part of our Easter service and we'll pray that the Lord speaks to them and does great things in their lives through our Easter Sunday morning. Now, 
Palm Sunday is just the beginning of the final week. And so I wanted to spend just a couple of minutes. I'm going to kind of walk through very briefly that final week. And we're really going to spend a lot of time on the Last Supper. Because we're going to take together in just a while the Lord's Supper. And I want to understand the Lord's Supper and kind of where it comes from. But I want you to see and understand the last week of Christ's life. Let me give you an interesting statistic before I give you some more detail. Roughly 30% of the Gospels, right? So we got the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Roughly 30% of those Gospels deal with the last week of the life of Christ. Isn't that interesting? A man who lived on the earth about 33 years, all that was written about Jesus, the last week takes up about a third of the Gospels. So the last week is important. The last week is, is uh, crucial for us to understand all that Christ did and all that he accomplished. And so I've got for you on the screens, I want you to see just very briefly kind of this order of what happens in the last week. And I would encourage you to do something kind of interesting this week of Easter leading up to Easter. I would encourage you just to read through the last week of Christ through the Gospels. It won't take you a long time, a few chapters each, but maybe every night just read a few chapters being reminded of who Christ was, being reminded of what he accomplished, being reminded specifically of that last week. And so just to kind of orient us, I've got on the screen kind of a list here of the order of the days of what actually happened. So Sunday, that's today, triumphal entry. Jesus enters Jerusalem for the final time. Monday, go to Monday. Cleanses the, uh, curses the fig tree, cleanses the temple. You may remember he's on the way to the temple, sees the fig tree, curses it, and then go on to Tuesday. The fig tree is withered. He teaches in parables. He teaches the great commandment. By the way, one of the things that Jesus does throughout the last week is teach a lot. Like he understands that this is the final time he's going to have with his followers. He understands this is the last chance he's going to get. So he spends a lot of time teaching, a lot of time teaching in parables. You can read some of those in Matthew 21, 22. The great commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He gave that the final week as well. Okay, Wednesday, the plot against Jesus. Judas is going to agree to betray Jesus. We'll see that in our text this morning. Go to Thursday. Thursday's a preparation for the Last Supper, eating of the Lord's Supper, prediction of Peter's denial, Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, after he takes of the Lord's Supper in the upper room, he's going to walk down out of the, the upper room, across the Kidron Valley, up into the Mount of Olives. He's going to go into the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to pray now for his followers. He's going to pray for us. At that moment, the Roman soldiers are going to come. He's going to be given over to the Romans. Then on Friday, Peter's denial, the trial crucifixion, burial, and then finally on Sunday, we have Sunday, the resurrection. Now, I've given you a, a, a website here, Bible.org. There's a lot of slashes, a lot of dashes, but article slash chronology dash synopsis dash passion dash week. If you're interested in reading some real detail about this week or you're interested in the uh, text and the verses that go along with each one of those days, you ought to look that up. It's very interesting. It's a, it's, a, it's a lot of stuff, a lot of information. But if you want to kind of read through the last week, that would be a great way for you to do that, a great way for you to understand the final week of the life of Christ. Now, I want to focus this morning, because we're going to be eating the Lord's Supper in just a little while. I want to focus on the last, focus on the last Supper. In order to do that, we're going to be in Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 1. Now, we have it on the screen for you to follow along. You can read it in your Bible if you'd like. We're going to read the first several verses and then stop and think through it together. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. 
This is a feast they're going to take together. I'm going to cover that in just a minute. And the chief priest and the scribes were seeking how to put, to put him to death for they feared the people, right? They wanted to put Jesus to death. He was growing in popularity. Uh, he's entering Jerusalem now with palm branches. People are crying, Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They've seen his popularity surge. They're trying to figure out how they can get rid of him because they fear the people. They fear an uprising. Verse 3. Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. Verse 4. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray him to them. They were glad and agreed to give him money. And then maybe verse 6, one of the saddest verses in this context, in these verses. He consented, right? Judas consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. That's always sad to me because I think about a man who, remember Judas walked with Jesus. He lived with Jesus. He saw Jesus walk on the water. He saw Jesus perform countless miracles, raise Lazarus from the dead, had learned from Jesus. Jesus had loved this man. And then in the very end, Judas consents because Satan led him astray to betray Christ. Now verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? Verse 10, he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. And tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you that I may before I suffer. For I tell you, verse 16, that I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Verse 17, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not eat of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup after he had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now let's stop just for a few minutes. There's a lot of stuff we covered there. There's a lot of things we said and noticed, but I want to back up one verse to verse 19, and I want to point something out for you that will kind of dominate this meal. There's an idea in verse 19 that's symbolic of what Christ called his disciples to do. It's important for them in the first century. It's still important for us now. And it's really foundational to our understanding of the Lord's Supper. Look at what he says. He took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Then what does he say? Do this in remembrance of me. Right? Everything about what we're going to talk about this morning... Everything about what we're going to study, every, everything about this Lord's Supper, everything about this meal together is all about remembering Christ. It's about remembering what He did, what He accomplished, what He gave. And so as we study through this together this morning, as we try to understand it, as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, all this is done in remembrance of Jesus. So I'm going to give you, based on this text, three things, three areas in which we should remember Jesus. Here's the first one, number one. The Lord's Supper helps us remember 
Christ's love and devotion. As we eat this together at the end of the service here in just a little while, we ought to remember the love that Jesus showed for us. We ought to remember the devotion Jesus showed for his followers and for us as well. Now, remembrance is an important thing, isn't it? We, we, we like to remember. We like to tell stories. We, we, we like to look at pictures. Amy is a, a big scrapbooker. Some of you ladies I know do scrapbooks. And when she first started, I guess probably 16 or 17 years ago when Gracie was born, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I thought it was just a, a fun thing she was going to do. It was going to be a hobby for her. She would enjoy it. And it has been all of those things. What I didn't understand was the amount of work she was going to put into this over the years. And so what she did is, starting with our first child, she does a scrapbook for every one of our kids. So every one of our kids has a scrapbook from like preschool and then elementary and as they get older, middle, and eventually high school. And so when they graduate high school, they're going to have all these books that kind of chronicle their life. We, we laugh about the significance of these books because Amy tells me, listen, if there's, ever a, if there's ever a fire at our house, get the kids out first, get the scrapbooks out second. That's what she tells me. Some of you ladies are shaking your head. Why? Because she spent hours and hours and hours and hours over the years preparing these things. And she goes on these scrapbook retreats. And she'll go away for a weekend and she'll spend kind of the whole time just cutting out pictures and writing captions and putting things in order. And when she comes home, it's always fun for our family because we'll kind of sit there in the living room. We'll pull out all these scrapbooks and we'll spend time looking at all these pictures. Why? Because we like to remember. We like to remember, don't we? Christ says, listen, there are important things in your life, in your faith journey that you ought to remember. There are things in your life that are significant to you. Jesus gives us this opportunity. He gives us this supper very simply so we can remember. So when we partake this, it's not about thinking past this or thinking about tomorrow or Sunday school or things at home. It's about remembering the devotion, the love of Christ in our lives. Now you may have noticed that he talks in this passage of Scripture about the Passover meal. In fact, he mentions the Passover several times in this context. He tells his disciples, listen, we got to go and prepare the Passover meal. It's time to take the Passover. We're going to eat the Passover together in this room. Now some of you know what this means, but I don't want to miss the opportunity briefly just to explain it. The Passover is kind of an Old Testament idea. It's a Jewish festival that they celebrated the Lord's faithfulness in Egypt. Now let me just remind you of this. The children of Israel were in captivity in Egypt for 400 years. When it was time to go, God sent the ten plagues. The tenth plague was the death angel. And God said, listen, the death angel is going to kill the firstborn of everything in Egypt. And so the Bible tells us that the children of Israel were told, listen, if you want to survive the death angel, you take this lamb, a precious, spotless, perfect, without blemish lamb, slaughter the lamb, take the blood of the lamb, paint it on the doorpost. When the death angel comes around, it'll see the blood of the lamb and pass over your door. That's where the word Passover comes from. Now, as you begin to kind of think about this and put two and two together, you understand that, the, listen to this, the blood of a spotless, perfect lamb was used to save people from certain death. You see the correlation here? It's a picture of Christ. It's a very clear picture in the Old Testament. The, the Passover is this very clear picture of Christ in the Old Testament. Jesus says, listen, we're going to celebrate this Passover. We're going to celebrate this time together. But I'm going to make it instead of about the Passover and what happened in the past, I'm going to make it about what's happening now so you can remember what I'm about to sacrifice and do for you. 
And so Jesus doesn't take this lightly. Jesus doesn't just show up in the upper room and say, Hey, Peter, did you bring something? No. Okay, did you bring? No. What did you get? You got this? He didn't do that. Instead, he specifically sends out his disciples and he tells them, Listen, you need to prepare for this. You need to be ready for this. You need to go to this very specific place, to this very specific room. We're going to have this very specific food, this very specific order. We're going to do all these things. Why? Because it's important that we prepare for what Christ has done. It's important that we prepare and remember all that he accomplished for us. And, and so we see this verse. Look at verse 15. Pull that up for me, please. You, you kind of get a, a picture into the heart of Jesus, into the heart of what he wanted to accomplish with his followers. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. Right? Christ says, I've got this, this burning desire. I've got this desire to eat this Passover with you. I want to demonstrate to you how much I love you. I want to demonstrate to you how much I want to be with you. I want to demonstrate to you how much I want to give for you. You know, I look around this church and I, and I see people that have been around for uh, lots and lots of years. People that are faithful, that have loved the Lord. And one of the things I've noticed as, as a pastor, just the last several years, I have the, uh, I, would, I would call it almost the privilege of doing a lot of funerals of very godly people. And I've just seen over the last several years specifically some of the people that have kind of come through our church and have been pillars of our church. I've seen one of the two spouses pass away. And one of the things that has just incredibly challenged me over the last several years is when I watch a spouse uh, kind of coming to the end of, of his or her life and the difficulty and the struggle, the, 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 the heartache that comes with that and the family and all the, the things they have to go through. But the thing that's challenging to me is I've seen it time and time again now where the other spouse is absolutely devoted until the very end, taking care of the one they loved. It's just powerful. And if you've never kind of been up close and personal, but, but, but to watch a man whose wife is dying, to watch that man love her and take care of her and provide for her and cherish her and be absolutely devoted to her until the end, it's hard to explain, but it's incredibly powerful. It challenges me as a man, frankly. Like, how am I going to live? How am I going to lead? How am I going to be faithful and devoted until the very end, regardless of the circumstances? That reminds me, in just a small little way, of Christ. Christ was absolutely devoted to the end. John 13, 1, I don't want you to look it up. I just want you to listen to it and just take the beauty of this verse in. John 13, 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now this is an incredible teaching. This is an incredible piece of history and understanding the life of Christ. But here's what's important for us to do this morning. It's not enough for us just to understand. Pull that point number one back up, please. It's not enough for us just to understand and remember Christ's love. It's not enough for us just to understand His devotion. It's not, not enough for us just to be mindful of what He did. The question we ought to be asking ourselves and kind of the point of application for our lives ought to be, as I understand more deeply the love Christ had for me, as I understand more deeply and fully the devotion that Jesus had for me, how does that now lead me? As I understand His devotion to me, how does that lead me to now be fully devoted to Him? Like, what am I doing to show my love for Christ? What am I doing to show my devotion for Christ? Am I willing to love Christ, as John 13, 1 says? Am I willing to love Him until the end? 
I, I fear that far too many believers allow just small little things to get, kind of get them off track. <laughs> I, I fear that far too many believers aren't as devoted to Christ as He is to us. I fear far too many believers don't love Him the way He loved us. Are we devoted to the things of Christ? Are we in love with the things of Christ? Are we willing to love Him until the very end? That's the first truth we see this morning. Here's the second point I want you to see, number two. We see the devotion, we see the love, and now number two, the Lord's Supper helps us remember the unity of the body of Christ. It's not just about remembering His devotion. It's not just about remembering His love. It's about remembering unity within the body. Now, Jesus talks over and over about the importance of being together with His followers. He talks about the importance of spending this meal together, of loving them, of this unity that comes together. And we see the same thing when Paul teaches about the Lord's Supper in the New Testament. In fact, 1 Corinthians, there's several places in chapter 10 and 11 that explain to us the significance of the Lord's Supper. And Paul spends a lot of time kind of helping us understand and challenging us with this truth. And in one place in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, Paul, speaking of the Lord's Supper, says this, Because there's one loaf... We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf together. There's this sense of unity. There's this sense of togetherness. There's this sense of a body of believers working together to accomplish the purposes of Christ. Now, you know as well as I do, unity is incredibly important, but oftentimes it's a thing that churches struggle with, isn't it? I bet if we went around the room, every one of us could tell kind of the horror story of a church that we've known or maybe believers that we've known that the devil has kind of gotten between, caused disunity, caused trouble, and has eventually kind of won the battle. Right, we understand the stories of, of church splits. And, and you know, the, the crazy thing about a church split is usually it happens for strange, insignificant reasons. Did you know that? Rarely are there major doctrinal issues. I mean, churches split over the color of the paint. They, they, they split over the color of the carpet, which, I mean, we got incredible carpet in this room, so nobody's going to be mad about that. They, 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 get, they, they split over whether or not the pastor should preach with his shirt untucked, right? Believe it or not. Crazy things like that. My shirt's untucked, by the way. If y'all notice that. Um, they split over just strange things, things that don't matter. And so we're, we're reminded of this. We're reminded of this truth. We're reminded of the, the importance of the unity of the body of Christ. And so the challenge for us as believers should always be, am I unified with my brother and sister in Christ? Or am I allowing on some level the enemy to get a foothold in my life, causing dissension, causing division in my life with another brother or another sister? The Lord's Supper is this incredible opportunity. I would never put anybody on the spot or try to embarrass anybody. But it's this incredible opportunity to kind of make amends with people. We've got this chance to kind of come to the table in unity. We've got this chance to kind of come to the table in fellowship together, understanding the teaching of Christ. And so I would just challenge you, if you've got something you need to kind of fix in your mind or your heart, you ought to do it this morning. If you need to during this time of invitation or during the Lord's Supper, if you want to get up and have prayer with somebody or speak to somebody or come to the altar and pray, I'm going to open that up to you. It's, it's an opportunity for you to understand and, and really live out and fulfill this idea of fellowship and unity with the body of Christ. Let's continue verse 17. So he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. 
For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now verse 19 and 20, I'm going to read them in just a second, but just remember something. This is the first time these guys had heard this. If you've grown up in a church, these next two verses are going to be very familiar to you. You're going to kind of understand the symbolism of the Lord's Supper. You've heard these verses before. But to these men, this would have been kind of earth-shattering because they'd never heard this before. So he took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20, And likewise the cup... After he had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Here's truth number three. The Lord's Supper helps us remember the sacrifice of Christ. It ought to help us remember his love and his devotion for us. It ought to help us remember the importance of fellowship and unity together. And then thirdly, it ought to remind us and help us remember of the sacrifice of Christ. Now there's a lot of things about Jesus we could remember. There's a lot of things about the life of Christ we could talk about. We could remember his miracles. There were many. In fact, the Bible tells us that there's not enough books in the world to write down all the stuff Jesus did. We could talk about him walking on the water, feeding the multitudes. We could talk about him raising people from the dead. We could talk about his teaching, the parables, all the ways in which he lived. We could talk about his birth. There, there are a lot of things that we could remember about Christ. And all of the things are important and significant and have their place in, in our faith journey. But of all the things that Jesus did, of all the things that Jesus accomplished... The thing he tells us to remember is that he gave his body and he gave his blood for the sake of his people. Now I love what he does here with the Passover meal because the Passover meal, I explained it just a few minutes ago, but it was a meal that the Jewish people had partaken of for centuries. And the whole point of the Passover meal was to remind them of the faithfulness of the Lord while they were in Egypt. Right? And so even the, even the things they eat, you may know this about the Passover meal, even the things they eat are symbolic, like the, the bread without the yeast because they didn't have time to bake it. They were getting out so fast. Right? The, the bitter herbs remind them of the bitterness of slavery. Right? There are all these things within the meal that remind them of what the Lord did while they were in Egypt. But Jesus says to them, listen, all the things you remember about the Passover, all the things that you studied about the Passover, all the things that have happened and occurred with the Passover, I want you to remember those things, but I want you to now substitute for those things my body and my blood which is given for you. And when you eat these things, as often as you do, you remember me. So there's a great challenge for us this morning. I know it's easy in a church to kind of overlook the significance of the Lord's Supper. I, I know sometimes when we do it, you just kind of think, I've done that before, and what am I going to do in Sunday school, and what, what am I going to do this afternoon? I just want to challenge every person in here this morning. Christ instituted this for a very specific reason. He did it with his followers. Really, the, the last time he was ever in a room with, with his followers, with his twelve, the thing he chose to do with him was to eat this meal Proclaim his body, proclaim his blood in the new covenant. It's a big deal. So I'm going to pray here in just a minute. We're going to have a time of invitation like we always do. I'm going to give you a chance to come and, and pray, speak to me, however the Lord leads you. But I want you in this process to remember. I want you to remember the love of Christ. I want you to remember his devotion. I want you to remember the importance and significance of unity. And then ultimately, I want you to remember his sacrifice, his body and his blood, and how that means for you salvation through Jesus Christ.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Lord's Supper. It is an incredibly important and, and significant time in our church history, Lord, as we partake together, as we study this passage, we understand now even more clearly the significance of the Lord's Supper, the remembrance, Father, of all that Christ did for us, of His love, of His devotion, the importance of unity, fellowship, Father, and ultimately we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. Lord, praise Your name for all that He accomplished for us. The offer of salvation, the offer of eternal life, the, the offer of freedom from sin. Father, help us to remember in just a few minutes as we take this together, all that Jesus accomplished. Allow that, Father, to lead us to a place of worship. We'll praise your name for everything that you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. The altar is open. We're going to give you a chance. If you want to come and pray, speak to me. This is your opportunity to respond. You come as we sing together this morning. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.